Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We're doing this series called Switches, and we're talking about making switches in our life, not just a temporary switch, but something permanent in our life so that we can enter into all that God has for us. We've been talking a whole lot on this series about intimacy with Jesus. We've been talking a lot about moving in uh, to what God's calling us to. We've declared that this is the year of the green light. We've agreed with heaven on that, and man, we're believing that this is the year that you're going to move into God's best, but in order for that to happen, you've You've got to make some switches in your life. I don't know if you've been on the interwebs uh, this past week or over the last month or watched television over the last week, but man, if you don't know it or not, there is a war on Christianity. Did you know that? There's a culture war on Christianity. Now, I don't want to make it seem like that this is the worst thing the world has ever faced. Christianity in other parts of the world are way worse than it is in America. Let's just, let's just be real clear about that. Um, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened to the church. However, in, in our reality where we live, where we function, we understand that, hey, sometimes it can be difficult following Jesus and standing for biblical values. Amen. Uh, there's, you know, we've heard the news of the, about the passing in New York this week, which is a Christian value that we value life. are very frustrated about that. Uh, a lot of attack on Christian schools that we're seeing where people are calling that the government would come in and cut kind of uh, control uh, private, privatized schooling. So this just, there's this culture war on what we believe as believers. And a lot of it is, and I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of times in the news cycle, the news cycle travels fast nowadays, right? New, I mean, it's the news today, tomorrow, everybody forgets about it. It doesn't matter how many people died. I mean, a week from now, we forgot about it. Have you noticed that, how, how, um, how numb we are uh, to, to tragedy and but what I have noticed is a lot of times when, when the news involves an attack on Christianity, it seems to last a little longer than just a day. And I think that there's just a subtle attack from the media on uh, Christianity and faith. And, and let me tell you why. The media makes its money on people's fears and their anger. That's how they make their money. So their job is to get you fired up. Or to get you afraid. And so by clicking on those links, come on, by reading those blogs, that's why when you go to that page, you can't even read the news because you've got all these, you're like, oh, I need to look at the computer later. And then you don't end up doing it because the news cycle changed before you can get to it. So the, the, the media has learned how to really control people's attention. And so fear and anger are both really good motivators to get us to do uh, what people want to do. Not, not that they're good in nature, but they're good in, in, at accomplishing their purpose. Um, let me just say this. Our goal and our mission as the church, now I'm not talking about Overflow Church, I'm talking about the capital C Church. Our mission as Christians is not to be liked or loved by the world. That is not our mission. Our mission is to win the world. Our mission is to advance the kingdom of God, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see prisoners set free, come on, to see the sick healed, come on, to see people brought into salvation and relationship with Jesus. This is the mission of the kingdom of God. It's not to be liked. Now, we shouldn't thrive on being disliked. Come on, beloved, are you with me? Uh, or the, the mission of the church isn't, isn't to simply preserve Christian values. 
Because sometimes I'm afraid that that's what we've gotten into, that we've just got to preserve and we've got to protect these values that we hold. I believe we should preserve those values, but that is not our mission. Our mission is not defensive. Our mission is offensive. It's, it's moving forward, and sometimes that's offensive. And so sometimes people will be threatened by that. Let me remind you today that the most controversial person in human history is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most simple, controversial person in human history. I mean, he made statements like, you can only go to God through me. That's offensive. He said, you've got to lay down your life for me. You've got to do what I'm doing. And so what Jesus did is offensive. Not not to be offensive. The objective isn't to be offensive, but the truth of the gospel is offensive. That you're a sinner. That you need God. That you are not good enough by your own deeds. That's offensive. So the gospel is offensive. And when we live in a hostile culture, because the culture is hostile, right? When we live in a hostile country, uh, culture, there's two tendencies. There's fear and anger. Those are, those are our tendencies. Now, Jesus says this in, in Matthew chapter 24. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now, that word grow cold is actually, in the, in the Greek language, is wax cold, which is if you light a candle, it's burning, and then it goes out, and then, and then eventually the environment around that candle will call it, cause it to cool down and harden. So Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness on the earth, most people that are in love with God will not love God like they did. So our tendency, when the culture gets hostile because of wickedness, because of the justification of wickedness, our tendency is to react a lot of times in anger. Right? Anybody like me? Like you're like, I'll tell you what. Right? Right? Pulling out your weapon. Right? Getting, getting after, getting all fired up. But listen, we don't react to error with error. Right? You can say the right thing, but have the wrong heart. You can have the wrong spirit and say what is absolutely 100% true. But if your heart is wrong, beloved, you have sinned to react in anger. In fact, the scripture says to be angry and sin not. So there's nothing wrong with being angry. What's, What's a problem is whenever we react out of anger. The second, and what we're going to focus on today, is our fear. Because I'm afraid in this hour, what we're not seeing is a lot of anger or even holy anger. But we're seeing a lot of fear. The the tendency sometimes for some is to become quiet or silent about biblical truth. Or even their personal walk with Jesus. And this happens as our culture, as a Christian culture, especially a classical Christian culture, becomes more of a target. Our tendency is to retreat and to be afraid. But beloved, let me remind you as believers, we don't live in reaction. We live in response. We don't live in reaction. And we've got to make that switch of being reactive to being responsive. And our response is always in faith. It's always in faith. 
We respond in faith. Say that with me. We respond in faith. Say it again. We respond in faith. That's how you respond. Because you live by faith. Everything in faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible. We've talked about this in this series. It is impossible to please God without faith. So no matter how good your efforts are, if they're not driven by faith, you are not pleasing God. doesn't even matter if you're standing for the right thing, doing the right thing. If it's not done through faith, it's not pleasing God. Now, the thing that Jesus did in a hostile culture is he stood up and he stood out, right? He didn't shut up and hide and he was kind to those that opposed him. He was loving to those opposed him. He let those that opposed him kill him. Let me remind you that they killed Jesus, right? And the people that followed him understood that there was a cost in following Jesus. They knew how controversial Jesus was. They knew there was a cost. And we mentioned, we hit on this last week. All the disciples, except one, died a martyr's death. Even the disciple that took Judas's place, he died a martyr's death. All throughout the book of Acts, all throughout human history, people have died for their faith, for following Jesus. Why? Because following Jesus is controversial. And if we're not careful, we will allow our fears to keep us from following Jesus to the extent that he wants us to. Remember when Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven? I mean, those are heavy words. That's not very PC, Jesus. So I want to talk today about Peter. Now, we like talking about Peter because we associate so much with him. Um, because we typically look at Peter as someone who's full of fear, right? We connect with Peter. Unfortunately, we connect with Peter uh, more before the resurrection than we do after the resurrection. Uh, However, Peter is a a good grid for us to look at and say, you know what, I can turn my fear to being fierce. That I can actually be fierce instead of fearful. That I can be like Peter in that way. I can learn from his mistakes. I can learn from his fears. I can learn from his weakness. But what God is calling me is to be fierce. So last week we shared a little bit about when Jesus was at the Last Supper and they're having communion together and John leaned on the chest of Jesus and Jesus was there with his disciples. And then we know that when Jesus dipped the bread with Judas, he says, you're the one, you're the one that betrayed me. Jesus takes off and Peter is there still with the other disciples. And it's in John chapter 13. And it says, Simon Peter asked, because Jesus is telling him, hey, I'm about to take off, guys. I'm, I'm about to ascend. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to ascend. So Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can go with me now, but you will follow me later. You can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. And Jesus is prophesying here to Peter about Peter's martyrdom. Peter died a martyr. Um, and so Jesus is basically saying, you can't go to the cross now, but you're going to go later. Then he says this in verse 37. But why can't I come now, Lord? <laughs> Lord, why? He asks, I'm ready to die for you. I can go with you now, Jesus. I'll I'll go to the cross with you right now, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you're not even willing to live for me. Verse 38, 
Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Three times you'll deny that you even know me. Much less will you follow me to the cross. So Jesus goes into this elaborate teaching that we call the upper room discourse. He teaches in the Holy Spirit. And then they go off to pray. Now, this is right before Jesus is about to be crucified. So they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's three guys there with Jesus. It's Peter, James, and John. Peter's there praying all night. Come on, building his faith. Being with Jesus, being with the presence of God, falling asleep sometimes. But devoted completely there with Jesus. And then Judas shows up at the end of their all-night prayer meeting. Judas shows up and kisses Jesus. We know the story. Judas kisses Jesus, and they arrest Jesus. And when they're arresting Jesus, Peter has an anger moment. Peter reacts in anger. There's a guy there by the name of Malchus who's one of the soldiers. And Peter pulls out his sword and slices Malchus' ear off. Now, if I was here, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. Get him! Why did you just go for his ear? Take them all out. Who's, who's with me? Peter reacted in anger. And Jesus looks at Peter like, <laughs> and he picks up Malchus's ear and he sticks it back on his head and he gets healed. And they take Jesus off. They arrest him and they take him off to be tried. So Peter at that point, starts following Jesus from a distance. Now, he wasn't following real close. He was kind of keeping his distance from Jesus, kind of watching what was going on. I mean, he, he said he wanted to die for Jesus, but probably inside he wasn't really there yet. So we see his anger, and then we see his fear. Here it is, Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. Now, all this drama surrounding Jesus, and a servant girl, everybody say servant girl, a servant girl came to him, you were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he did not it before them all, I don't know what you're talking about, he said, then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him, and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, he did not it again with an oath, I swear, I don't know the man. Now, Jesus had told the disciples, don't take oaths. Let your yes be yes and no be no. And here he is sinning, denying Jesus. I swear I don't know him. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. You're one of his followers. For your accent gives you away. In other words, you kind of sound like a disciple of Jesus. Then he began to call down curses. I mean, Peter is having a rage fit. He is being extra, right? Throwing a fit, calling down curses on himself and swore to them, beep, 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 beep. I don't know the man. That would be awesome. I was just thinking about this. Wouldn't it be awesome like if there would be like a movie of Jesus and it shows Peter and they're like beeping out his cuss words right there? That would be so funny. That would be funny. It'd be even funnier if they didn't people out, but it <laughs> would be funny. <laughs> uh, boo. All right. Things you shouldn't say when you're preaching. 
I'm going to write one of those books. So he's cussing. I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Immediately. Third time, just like Jesus said, the rooster crows. The dawn breaks, the rooster crows immediately. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside. Look, he went outside and wept bitterly. Why? Because instantly he felt the shame and the regret of denying Jesus. Have you ever had like a missed opportunity? Here's Peter. Three opportunities. Three opportunities to affirm his love for Jesus, his devotion to Jesus. And just like Jesus said, three times. However, with Peter, we see a switch happen in his life. There's a switch that happens. He switches from being fear, Peter the fearful, to being Peter the fierce. There's a switch that happens. See, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14... This is like 50 days after this. Peter stands up in a crowd of people, at least 3,000, probably more like five to 6,000 people are there. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So here's a guy that couldn't even recognize Jesus in front of a servant girl, and now is land-blasting the message of Jesus to thousands. And thousands respond to what Peter says. He's a different cat. I mean, he's like not really Simon anymore. I mean, he is, he is really fulfilling what Jesus had spoke to him in Matthew 16. Right? In fact, and I'll get to Matthew 16 in just a second, what Peter did in that moment... And Acts chapter 2 launched the great revival that is still going on the earth called the church. Did you know that you're part of a revival that started in Peter in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit hasn't gone anywhere. It's still here. There's still signs, miracles, and wonders. Maybe you need to jump in the stream, but it's here. It's happening. The kingdom is here. And it all started with this fearful guy that couldn't even talk to a servant girl who stands up and declares the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved, and the church explodes. In fact, scriptures tell, tell, tell us that the gospel reached the nations. If you read Acts, it says the whole world, the whole known world at that time was reached with the gospel. And it's still going on today. It's still happening today. And it was exactly what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 16. Jesus goes to Peter. This is before any of this happens. And he says, Peter, what are the people saying? He said, oh, man, they're saying all kinds of stuff. Some people are saying you're a prophet. And, you know, you know like all, all these people have all these different ideas of who you are. He said, well, what about you, Peter? Who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter answered, you are Christ. You understand? He says, it says Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this is not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, you have just received a download from heaven. You just got a revelation. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. 
And I tell you that you are Peter. Simon, you're Peter. And upon this rock, the name Peter means little rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He goes on to share some incredible, powerful things, which we're not going to get into this morning. What is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that he's building the church on Peter? No. Is Jesus saying he's building the church on Peter? Yes. (laughs) He's not really building it on Peter. He's building it on this moment that Peter has. Through Peter, tracking? Through Peter, not really on Peter because they were standing on a rock. Peter has this revelation. Jesus is the rock. But Peter is a piece of the rock. So Peter played a role. Are you tracking? And so here's Peter. Here's this before any of the dying happens. I mean, Peter had been told about this. He knew about this. But it took some things happening in his life before that could take place. Because Jesus is prophesying exactly right there what opens up in Acts chapter 2. So how do we make the switch? from fear to fierce. How are you going to do that? What did Peter do? Well, first of all, he had his identity. See, Peter had already been told. How many of y'all have ever been told something? You're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. know." And then, like, later, you go, I know. Like, oh, for real. Like, Peter had the revelation, but he didn't have the demonstration, right? But it just hadn't become real yet. But Peter was learning who he was. That's why, and you you know, you learn who you are by asking the question, who are you? See, you don't learn who you are by discovering yourself. I'm going through self-discovery. No, no, you learn who you are by discovering who he is. You want to know who you really are? Get to know your maker. He knows you way better than you know you. Well, what I think about me, it don't matter. What does God think about you? You want significance? You want to stop living by fear? What does he think about you? What did he make you to do? I know you're good at that. I know you're talented. I know you're educated. Great. Do you know Jesus? Because he'll reveal, you who, reveal to you who you really are. So we discover our identity by recognizing him. You are, you are Christ. Yeah, and you're Peter. My father revealed that to you, and you're Peter. We're going to build something together. Proverbs 28, verse 1, says this, says, the righteous are as bold as lions. Pastor Imlin said that he likes, y'all, y'all like this lion here? I put that on there because I drew that uh, yesterday, spent several hours drawing that. Uh, Pastor Imlin said he likes my drawings. That's actually my real drawing uh, of a lion. So I like how he's fierce. He's got his hands out there. That's great. That's great. Spent a lot of time on that. Why are y'all laughing? Wouldn't you put that on your fridge? My mama would, I promise. My mama would put, okay, anyway, let's get rid of that. So the righteous, listen, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now listen, when we talk about righteousness, righteousness isn't what you do. Righteousness is who you are. You do righteous things because you're a righteous person. Or they're not righteous. Because, they're not, because you have to have faith to be righteous. 
So only the works that you do out of faith are righteous works. Oh, but the righteous are as bold as lions. You're bold. Are you in Jesus? How many of y'all are in Jesus? How many, if you can't have the boldness to raise your hand, we got to have a prayer right now. How many of you are in Christ? You are bold. Say that. I am bold. You're as bold as a stinking lion. Yes, you are. It says the wicked man flees, though no one pursues him, but the righteous are as bold as lion. They'll go after the wicked. See, your righteousness is rooted in your position in Christ. It's in Christ. Where is your identity? In Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. What is your identity? In Christ. What rights do you have? I don't have any rights. Dead men don't have rights. I'm dead. I'm in Christ. The life I live, I no longer live, but Christ that lives in me. I belong to Jesus. That's your identity. You belong to Jesus. Therefore, you don't have anything to be afraid of. I mean, the God of the universe, you belong to him. He takes such good care of what belongs to him. It's good. So righteousness is in your position in Christ. So therefore, you're bold. You can have boldness because you're in Christ. This is how I fight my battles. So how do we... What, what, what do you do? What do we do? What do we do? We focus on the who. You focus so much on your what, on what you're doing, what I'm doing, what I'm doing, what I'm doing. I have people come to me often, oftentimes, people that I'm struggling, people that are struggling, that need counsel, and some of them are in the room today, and I'm not, I would tell you the same thing if you're going through difficulty. When someone comes to me and they're having difficulty, especially involving another person, the actions of another person, and they're hurt and they're wounded. You know what? I, you know what? I, I feel like the Lord gave me some wisdom to deal on this. Is like, listen, the only thing that you can control is you. You can't control anyone else. All you can focus on when you're going through difficulty is the who. You can't change the what. However, you can change how you function in the what. And so the good thing is, is when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through hardships, if we will focus on Jesus, if we will focus on the who and who we are in him, who you are in Christ, you know who you are in Christ? You're becoming like Christ. That's who you are. So if you will focus on becoming more like Christ through the hardship, when you get to the hardship, whether it goes the way you want or it doesn't go the way you want, you still end up looking more like Jesus. And you win. Even though the situation doesn't turn out like you want. And that gives you courage. And that gives you courage. When you realize who you are, you don't have a problem doing anything. You don't have a problem obeying anything that God has called you to do. You'll do whatever. Because the what is a result of the who. You're not defined by what you do. However, the potential of what you do is directly influenced by your identity. So it doesn't change necessarily always what you're doing, but how you do it. See, because I'm an ambassador of Christ, because I'm a representative of the King of Kings, I do things different than other people do. If I flip burgers for a living, thank God I don't, 
But if I did flip burgers for a living, I would flip those burgers like a prince. I'd be the best burger flipper on the planet. See, it doesn't really matter. The what doesn't really matter so much. If I can realize that I'm a who, then there's purpose to whatever I do. (laughs) That'll work. I'll have to say it again to figure out how that works. It doesn't matter so much the what, but the how. What will always be good if you'll focus on the who. Who are you? Who are you? Welcome to a life of purpose. Then it doesn't matter if they're paying you $8, even if that's the money that you agree to, and now you're complaining about your job. Because you're not really working for the man, you're working for the man. You're kingly. When you understand your identity, it changes the way you function. Now the joyless jobs have joy. The troubling situations lose their sting. Beloved, everything you do, understand this, because you're a child of God, everything you do is significant. Everything, even things that people think this is insignificant. I make pencils for a living. It's so insignificant. It's not insignificant. You're there. And you're representing Jesus to make to the people that make pencils with you. Do you understand? Then your promotion comes because you work better than anybody else. Because you make pencils for the king. And you're, guess what else? You're a king who makes pencils. And probably you'll advance to two by fours soon enough. Okay. So understand your identity. Listen, when you can start walking in your identity, not only, not only with the way that you do things, you won't be motivated by fear. Number two, purpose. So who are you? Whose are you? Who are you is all about whose are you. Number two is purpose. In John chapter 21, after the resurrection... Pre, uh, Peter gets preoccupied. Now, it's, it's, when I read the story, I'm like, what? Because Jesus shows up, you know, Jesus, study the life of Jesus after the resurrection. It's kind of crazy. He does some kind of bizarre things. Jesus shows up in John chapter 21. The disciples, get this, go back to fishing. Now, I don't know what they're thinking because Jesus told them way back to get rid of your nets. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm like, guys. You're really distracted from your purpose. So they're out here in this boat, about 100 yards off, the, off the, the shore. Peter and John are out there. They're always like hanging out together. And they're fishing. And they see this figure on the beach. And he says, hey, how's fishing going? And they're like, uh, not very good. And he says, well, cast your net on the other side. So they cast their net on the other side. And John, oh, we love this. John goes, that's Jesus. I recognize his voice. Remember, John was the one that knew how to lean in. And so John's like, Peter, that's Jesus. I know he's kind of hard to see because he's far, and he looks kind of different the last time we saw him because this resurrection thing, but it's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore like 100 yards. He pulls off his Michael Phelps. So he like swim. <laughs> Jesus. I feel so guilty. 
gets to shore, checks his watch. How many calories did I burn? So Jesus, about that time, the disciples come in with all the, all the fish, and Jesus says, hey, let's make some breakfast. Let's, let's hang out together. Let's eat. And it says this in John chapter 21, verse 15. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The other disciples. Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. I don't think he was hurt as bad is when he heard the rooster crow, but he was hurt again. Again, probably dealing with all this junk. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, this probing question that Jesus is asking Peter wasn't an accusation. It was an invitation. See, Jesus wasn't rejecting Peter in this moment by questioning his love. He was reinstating him as an apostle and helping him to see the magnitude of the mandate. He's saying, Peter, I'm giving you the opportunity because remember how many times you rejected me? Three times. So now I'm going to give you the opportunity three times, Peter, to affirm your love for me. Come on, Peter. Let's try this again. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. I'll feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. I'll feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know. You know I love you. He's like, the mandate is reinstated. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. I know you love me. I get it. And I'm reinstating your purpose. See, Peter was able to go forth because he realized that he still had purpose even though he blew it. Listen, beloved. Some of you think because you've made mistakes after God called you to do something that that disqualifies. Can I submit something to you today? You were never qualified in the first place. You were only qualified because he looked at you and said, I want you to do it. That's what qualified you. It wasn't your goodness. It wasn't because you're skilled. It wasn't because you have good character because Peter certainly did not. But he had the only thing he needed to do to do something for God. He had a calling. And that's all you need. You just need the master to look at you and say, go do it. The third value here that Peter had, number one, is his identity. Number two, his purpose. He's rediscovering that. And the third thing is, is this virtue, this reality called love. He had not just a, a, an identity 
affirmation. He had a love affirmation. That's why Jesus was asking him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? See, Jesus wanted to hear it, no doubt in my mind. But Peter needed to hear it. Peter needed to say it. Jesus wanted to hear it, but Peter needed to say it. Peter needed to have the opportunity to tell Jesus, I love you. I love the story about Peter because in all his mistakes and all his failures and all this kind of thing, there's, there's a special attention, a special urgency that's given to Peter. Now, Peter was an urgent guy, right? He was just kind of like all over the place, kind of spastic, right? They would, like he was like the guy that was on ADD, right, on Ritalin, right? He was the disciple whom Jesus uh, put on Ritalin. So here's, here's Peter. <laughs> At the resurrection, an angel is there at the resurrection and says this in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The angel says, when Jesus, they, the, the two women go to, go to the, the tomb, Jesus is risen, and the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Possibly because Peter was hard of hearing. But more important is that Peter needed to know that Jesus was alive. Isn't it interesting that the host of heaven commissioned that angel to say, hey, make sure that they don't forget to tell Peter. Because I know the guilt that he must be going through. I know the shame that Peter must have. I know, man, he must be in a bad spot. Please make sure Peter knows. There's something powerful about declaring your love for God. When you don't feel like you love God or you feel unworthy to say that, have you ever been there? Like the song comes on and you're like, oh, dang, I've been so bad this week. I'm the only one. I don't, you, you, am I the only one that spends like the first five minutes of worship going, Lord, and forgive me for that part? I'm the only one. See, what Jesus did is, is Jesus affirmed Peter through Peter's declaration. At the same time, Peter was saying, I love you, Lord. He was also understanding that the Lord loved him because every time Peter said this, feed what's mine. Take care of what's mine. So he wasn't just affirming his, reaffirming his purpose. He is reaffirming his Peter because nothing says, I love you like I trust you. (laughs) Nothing says, I love you like you're still going to do this, Peter. I still trust you. I don't know about you, but Peter ain't very trustworthy. (laughs) I mean, I would not hire Peter. Would you hire Peter? I mean, this guy's like asking stupid questions all the time. He's irritated. He's denying Jesus. Like, I would not hire Peter. Even, Even after, like, he did good. I'd be like, this guy does not have a good track record. He is not dependable. But you know what Jesus says? You love me, Peter. 
The plan hasn't changed. Feed my sheep. See, Jesus trusted Peter, and by trusting Peter, he was saying, Peter, I love you. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Nothing says I love you like I trust you. Sometimes affirmation doesn't come the way we expect it to come. Sometimes it looks like correction for Peter. Sometimes it looked like when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes it looked like Satan desires to sift you like wheat, Peter. But Jesus trusted him. And number four, the fourth thing. And I would just say this. You can have the top three things. You can have your identity in order. You can know your purpose. You can embrace the love of God. You can understand the love of God, but if you do not have power, you're going to lack in the courage that you need to fulfill that mandate that Peter had. See, something happens in the book of Acts. It says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, they already knew Jesus. They were already in relationship with Jesus, but they weren't functioning with this power. They saw some miracles, but they were not seeing the magnitude of what Jesus was doing. And on this event called the day of Pentecost, Pentecost represents a second work. We talk about Passover. Passover celebrates the children of Israel leaving Egypt, being freed from their bondage. Come on, belonging to God again. And then there's a second feast called the Feast of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost speaks of a second work, 50 days, 50, Pente, 50 days after the resurrection on Pentecost, the, the day of the second work, the same day that the Israelites celebrated that when the law was given on Sinai, an encounter with God where the smoke and the fire came, they experience in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, they experience fire. They experience shaking. They experience power. On Sinai, when Moses comes off, 3,000 people die. In the book of Acts, Peter stands up with a boldness, with the power of the Holy Spirit that fell that day. And he begins to declare the gospel, and 3,000 get saved. Peter had power. It wasn't his power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you will do greater works because I go to the Father. And because I go to the Father, you're going to do things just like I did. You're going to do them in greater measure because there's more of you. John the Baptist said this about Jesus. He said, I'll baptize you with water, but he who comes will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Listen, if you want the power of God in your life, if you want the boldness that you need to advance the gospel, you need the Holy Ghost. You need the power of the Holy Spirit functioning, living in your life. This is what it says in Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Boldly. How many of you want to be more bold? You need the, have you had? Have you had an Acts chapter 2 experience? Have you had an experience where you've been filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about you came and had a little few little goosebumps. I'm talking about have you had an experience where Jesus, the same spirit that went into the body of Jesus, that rose him from the dead, have you had this experience where not you just asked Jesus into your life, but where the Holy Spirit has come, that living active spirit has come inside of you and started making you function like Jesus, the same spirit that Jesus had. I know your spirit. It ain't good. Mine ain't either, but the Holy Spirit in me is. Have you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I don't know. Well, today's a good day for you to know. I want to share one more verse with you. I know we're long. Listen. Paul, we know Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I had a spiritual son named Timothy who was pastor of a church. And Timothy was struggling with being a young pastor. In fact, it says right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says there were some tears involved. Paul said, last time I saw you, that you were crying, that there were some tears. And he said, I, I can't wait to see you again, so I'll be full of joy. And he says this in verse 6. He said, because of this, because of what you're going through, because of the doubts that you have, because of the concerns that you have, because of maybe the fears that you have, I I remind you. I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame or to stir up, one translation says, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I believe that's whenever Paul went to Timothy and he laid his hands on Peter and he said, receive the Holy Ghost. On Timothy. And he says this, for God didn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but God gave us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. When I was a kid, I'm going to give you the the invitation today for you to receive the Holy Spirit. But when I was a kid, I remember, because some of you have, but it's grown dormant in your life. Let's just be real. When I was a kid, we would make Kool-Aid. They, Kool-Aid was different. You couldn't just go to the store and buy a package of Kool-Aid. You, you bought a packet, but it was like a little eight-cent package. I hate to imagine what was in there. <laughs> and you put that package in a quart of water, and you threw like 18 cups of sugar in there, a pound or something. And you'd throw all the sugar in the world inside that canister of Kool-Aid and water, and you could, man, put all that sugar in there, and you just take a drink, but it would taste so nasty, right? It just tastes like bitter water. The sugar was there, but what did you have to do? You got to stir it up. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. He said, listen, baby. Remember that gift that came in you when we prayed? I want you to stir up that gift. I want you to stir up that gift that was given into you and that when, I, when I laid my hands on you. I want you to stir up that gift. You don't have to be afraid anymore. 
You don't have to be fearful anymore. Just stir up that gift. You don't have to be angry anymore. You don't have to be discouraged anymore. Just stir up that gift that is already in you. 